growing up, uh, I had all of the experiences in church that most people would have. Uh, I went to Sunday school, just uh, every Sunday that we went to church, I went to Sunday school. The, I can still remember my first grade Sunday school teacher, Mr. DeRose. He was a, a, a scary man, uh, probably the few that could get me to behave. Uh, and then, of course, growing up, I went to vacation Bible school, and sadly, probably the, the uh, most vivid memory I have of vacation Bible school is one year a college girl came to help, and all of us third grade boys had a massive crush on her. Of course, over the years, uh, I, got, I went to church camp uh, for a week one summer. I uh, uh, was involved in a number of different Wednesday night activities, Sunday night activities. Got my very first chance to, very first chance to preach uh, on a youth Sunday, and that's when I found out what I wanted to do for a living. And so all of that, I would say, uh, was a big part of my life growing up. And I'm guessing that many of you here this morning could give the exact same testimony. That you grew up and you got to enjoy pretty much everything a church could possibly offer to a child. Now last week I asked you as a church to kind of put out everything that was happening nationally and join me in thinking about 15 miles. 15 miles with this church in the middle of it. And we noted that there are going to be ministry needs that are going to be abundant, far more than we're ever going to be able to meet, which means that there is an abundance of opportunities in those 15 miles to take our life and all that's going on in our life and make the voluntary decision to add somebody else's life to it in order to minister to them. One of the opportunities I mentioned last week was in that 15 miles, statistically, we would find a teen mom. We would statistically find a young girl that is being abused in some way. We would find children who have difficult home lives, probably children whose parents are divorced or about to get divorced. We would find children who would nationally be living under the poverty line, and we would find children, unfortunately, who have heard very little about Jesus. Now, because this is Awana Sunday, where we take an opportunity to kind of highlight a ministry that, that other than on Wednesday night, is almost invisible in this church. So if you only, only come on our Sunday services, you probably aren't aware of the size and scope of that ministry. So we just take a Sunday just to remind everybody it's going on. And because of that, I wanted to talk about this Sunday about ministering to children. To do that, you heard me read from Titus chapter 2. Now, uh, the simplest way to describe Titus is it's a book about organization. How many of you love organization? All right, it is a book about organizing leaders. It's a book about organizing what you're going to teach, like your Sunday school curriculum. And it is a book about the organization of ministry. So while this book is not really addressing our text, it's not really addressing ministry to children specifically, Titus does answer a number of questions when it comes to ministry. And so this morning I have three points for you, and once again they're going to all be in question form. Number one, why should we minister to children? Why should we minister to children? Well, we didn't read it, but in Titus chapter 1, we find out that Titus has been left behind to organize this church in Crete. 
And we find out that he's ministering to a group of people that within his church are some people with bad motives. These are people who are helping other people because they want the praise. They're trying to minister because they think if they minister to the right people, it'll gain them some position socially. It's a problem that they're ministering to people. Of course, it's mentioned specifically in chapter 1 that they're doing it all for the money. And so this was a group of people, at least a, a section of this church, was defining greatness by being the person who had the most followers, the person who had the most stuff, or the person who had the most money. And as you can see, then not a lot has changed over 2,000 years. At the end of chapter 1, the Bible says very clearly these motives, motives like that, defile good work. And in fact, motives like that actually makes a person unfit for good work. So they could say that they're not a student of grace. See, bad motives, we find out in chapter 1, come from bad teaching. So then when we come to verse 11 in Titus chapter 2, we're told that the grace of God teaches something different than the false teachers in chapter 1. It says here, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. The word appeared there is where we get our word epiphany. How many of you have ever sat in a math class and hoped for an epiphany? Maybe you've sat and you've watched a movie and you've gotten maybe 34 or 35 or maybe even more than halfway through the movie and you thought to yourself, oh, now I get it. The idea is that the grace of God is our aha. When we see Jesus on the cross, it becomes our gospel reality. You see, we move from being a people who do good works because we're trying to earn God's pleasure. We're trying to earn God's favor. We get moved as we see Jesus on the cross. We realize we are now a people who have God's favor because Jesus has gained it for us. That undeserved kindness from God, it is a teacher. It is our aha. And especially our aha when it comes to good works because we look at the life of christ we see him come we see him live we see him die we see him rise again we see him ascend into heaven all so that we can be saved and that lesson then changes the how the why the what of good deeds or ministry right now but what does that have to do with with uh, ministry to children well let me take you back to something jesus says in mark chapter 9 There in that chapter, the disciples are arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He first tells them, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be ready to serve. Or you say, must be ready to minister. And then, after he says that to them, he takes a child from nearby and he says, here is where you have to start. So the idea then is if you want to go down the road of greatness in the kingdom of God, the starting block to greatness is ministry to children. Now, why would that be the case? Because children can't pay you back. Children hardly ever appreciate what you do for them while they're children. 
And while they might tell somebody at school that their dad could beat up their dad, they rarely brag on what you're doing. You see, if you're a selfish person who has selfish motivations in ministry, there is absolutely no benefit to you to minister to children. So what we find here in Titus is that the gospel changes why we minister, who we minister, what we minister. And Jesus is saying that ministry to children actually kind of highlights or shows or reveals whether or not the gospel is teaching us. Is it our teacher when it comes to the way we live? Is it our teacher in the way we minister? So the answer to the question, why should we minister to children and youth? Because it is the starting point of being great. To being great ministers, to being the great people of God in the kingdom of God. And we actually find this idea all through the Bible. Let's go to the Old Testament. And we look at the people of God, they're rescued from Egypt, they're brought into the promised land. Before they get there, God says, one of the things that's going to make you different is my people, is the way you think about your children. Now the command we're probably most familiar with is that he tells his people, never sacrifice your children. Child sacrifice, God says, is an abomination. If you ever do it, I'm kicking you out of this country, I'm cursing you. And you see, you don't do that like your neighbors do. You don't, you don't uh, offer your children on an, offer, uh, an altar in order to have a good harvest. You don't sacrifice your children to win a battle, which is what was going on around them. And in that lesson then, he's saying to them as a nation, if you want to understand greatness, it's not economics and it's not military power. It's in the way you treat your children. Or then we go to the New Testament, and we encounter an interesting line of thought. The Savior of the world comes into the world as a what? As a child. And then as he ministers, as Christ ministers, or as Jesus ministers during his life, what does he tell people? In order to enter the kingdom, you must come as a a child. And then he says to them, once you're in the kingdom, if you want to be great in that kingdom, you must minister to What an interesting line of thought. And in fact, the early church got this immediately, which is why they would go to city dumps looking for abandoned children. It's why they would make sure that the poorest and the hungriest kids in their neighborhood were clothed and fed. And that heritage passed down over hundreds and hundreds of years so that we can drive through our large cities and see big hospitals with the name St. So-and-so Children's Hospital. Methodist Pediatrics, Presbyterians Children's Hospital, Baptist Children's Hospital. Or do you think of the video we watched last Sunday night or the one that we watched in Sunday school today about planting a church in one of the most dangerous places you could be a Christian and their most effective ministry? You want to know what it was? It was to children. The one that was making the most noise? The one to children. So why should we minister to children and youth? Because it is the starting point of greatness. But then we come to number two. How should a church minister? How should a church minister to children and youth? So the gospel not only appears, giving us this epiphany as to why we minister, it teaches us what to minister. Again, verse 11. 
The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, and teaches us. And then it breaks down the lesson. The first thing the gospel teaches us, we see here in the text, is that we should grow up. You see, I don't see that there, Pastor. Well, I want you to note that the list of sins, the the, uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, those two things mentioned there are directly tied to the sins mentioned in in chapter 1. Chapter 1, we're told these are people who struggle with lying, being lazy, being giving into the lusts of their flesh. These were Christians who were very much coupled to the place that they lived. And then you see the positive commands. He says, what we should do is deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, godly. Again, those are the counters to those sins. So instead of uh, giving in to our lusts, there's self-control. Instead of lying, there's righteousness or uprightness. Instead of laziness, there's godliness. The idea is the gospel produces spiritual growth. But then the second thing we note in the text, verse 13 is that the gospel teaches us hope. The Bible says that we are to look for the hope of Christ's return. In another place in the Bible, that hope of salvation is described as the, maybe I should make this a quiz, what part of the armor of God is the hope of salvation? The helmet. It is what protects the head. We note here in the text, this hope is physical. It's described as something that will appear. It is a blessed hope. It's like a child waiting for his birthday to show up. They know that when they get there, they're going to be blessed instead of cursed. It's described here as a glorious hope, meaning it's the idea of it's pleasurable to look upon, something to be with more pleasurable than the riches of the world. Now, what does all of that have to do with ministering to children? We can't minister to children if we're not growing up. But the biggest thing I would say to you is we must minister to children with hope. And not just with any hope, but the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which, which means we're, we're not ministering to children because they share the same community that we do. It means that we don't minister to children so that they can become productive members of society. It means that we don't minister to children because we pity whatever state we find them in. And it means we don't minister to children for America's future. It means to minister to children in the name of Jesus, to receive these children in the name of Jesus, who is our only hope. So there's the second question. So how should a church minister to children? They should minister as a people who have all their hope in Jesus. And that means ministry to children has to be uncoupled with how old you are. It needs to be uncoupled with whether or not you're good with kids. It needs to be uncoupled from whether or not you have kids. And so the question we have to ask as a church, do we minister as people who have all their hope in Jesus? Let's take a look. One of the ministries of this church is Children's Church going on right now. For 30 minutes or so every Sunday, they're hopefully, by God's grace, receiving a lesson on their spiritual level for their spiritual growth. The nursery runs all three uh, services on Sunday. The question I would have for you is, do you know the name of the people who work in those ministries? Is your care or prayer for those ministries dependent upon whether or not you have children who need them? I didn't check. 
But I wonder, when was the last time money came in designated to the nursery? It's a children's church. That is how we receive children with hope. All our hope in Christ. Or we go over to Sunday school. There's a ministry in our church that primarily serves children, the children of people who come on a regular basis, uh, the adults who come on a regular basis. The material that we use in our Sunday school program is for the purpose of, by the time they get out of it, they have a fundamental understanding of the entirety of the Bible. Now, I want you to think about it this way. That means that our Sunday school program is our largest discipleship ministry. For 45 minutes every Sunday, we ask our spiritual mature to help raise up our physical and spiritual babies. But that means it's not just a time for kids to learn that David killed Goliath. How do we teach them that we are a people who have all their hope in Christ? Well, if we go through the Bible, we see some marks of hope. A people who are full of hope are a people who are generous. Perhaps the birthday box for Sunday school could have things in it that cost a little more than $1.99. People of hope are the kind of people who love to enjoy food. Maybe we could teach our kids how to be thankful for how that jelly donut tastes. People who are hopeful have community. Maybe we could stop by and interrupt the class for a moment and say, Hey kids, is there anything I can pray for? Or we could move on to Awana. This is our largest ministry to children. I say largest simply because it's where we spend the most money. It's where we have the most kids attend. Like Vacation Bible School, it is a ministry that primarily serves those from uh, unchurched homes who are not from Christian homes. Now, I want to say this morning, I'm very thankful for all the help those ministries get. I'm very thankful uh, for the leadership in those programs as we've now done things like uh, coins for cookies as they're raising money for the needy. I'm appreciative of the fact that we're reintroducing the idea of going to camp. And so I would say to you, those, that's a minist- both those ministries are very healthy right now. So I had to look really hard to pick on you. But I'm still going to. It's an issue. It's not a big one. But it is one that has a tendency to pop its head every once in a while. It is an issue of stuff. The fact is, if you are going to invite unchurched kids from unchurched homes there's a high likelihood that something in this building is going to get broken walls are going to get rode on paint's going to get chipped you're probably going to find a hole where a hole does not belong we need to be careful but we do not come into church on sunday morning desiring a good paint job over a desire to receive children And hope is incredibly important today. The fact is, every generation struggles looking at youth and going, those darn kids. But we can't minister from that position. Hope is incredibly important because the current generation, those who are under 25 this morning, are quickly resigning themselves to weakness. 
Many are beginning to believe that they can do nothing about the problems of the world. They have no hope for a better tomorrow, no hope for themselves, no, nothing to hope in. A generation that is beginning to buy the sin of our time. The sin of our time is cynicism. To look at the world and not trust our neighbor and to not trust the world around us. It is the, it is the opposite of having hope. Hope is the answer to cynicism. And hope, is the, hope in the transforming work of Christ is the best answer to cynicism. That brings me to point number three. How should we as individuals minister to children? We've seen that this text tells us that Jesus changes the who, the what, the why, and the how of ministry. We see there in verse 14, we're described as a people who've been redeemed, bought back from lawlessness. We've, been, we've seen in the text that we at a fundamental level minister as a people who have their hope, all their hope in Christ. And the text tells us that hope, it, it purifies us. It shows us this loyalty, this peculiarity to Christ. That's the idea there. The text tells us that Jesus' desire then is as our redemption takes place and as our, our purification takes place, the end result is a desire or a zealousness for what? Good works. It's a breaking forth of good works. It's the exact opposite of how chapter 1 ends. Let me think about it this way. A man can see a rich lady in need of help. And he will think to himself, you know, I'm going to go help that lady because he wants to get money. He's zealous for money. And then that motivation, he defiles the good work that he does. A Christian, however, should see a rich old lady in need of help and, and not desire anything from her and not need anything from her. He's zealous to help her for the zealousness of the good work itself. Or bring it a little closer to home. A husband can empty the dishwasher, hoping that his wife will reciprocate in some way. And the Bible tells us he defiles his good work in doing so. Or a husband can empty the dishwasher out of a desire for the work itself. We know lastly in verse 15 that Titus is told to declare these things, to encourage these things. And anybody who fails to obey these things are supposed to be rebuked. In fact, the thing it ends being told, don't let anybody disregard you. Don't let them ignore you. In this area, don't let them go past you. And the idea there is there's going to be resistance to this teaching. There's going to be resistance, perhaps in the form of behavior modification instead of gospel transformation. There's going to be the temptation of cynicism. There's going to be the temptation of selfishness. What am I getting out of this? And those temptations are going to follow us along as we try to minister, and they're going to follow us along as we minister to children. So the last question, so how should we as individuals minister to children? Out of love for the good work itself. For the love of the good work itself. Now there's probably somebody this morning saying, Pastor, I can barely stand my own kids, let alone someone else's. Well, ministry to children really isn't about enjoying children. But out of a desire to make sure that the good work is being done. Just like last week, this is not hard to understand. 
as an individual Christian, as a part of First Baptist Church, you bear the responsibility of making sure the good work of ministering to children is being done. And over the years, you've heard me explain this to you this way. Show up. Show up for the Iwana Derby. Regardless of whether or not you have kids or you're invested in the kids there. Show up for the kids' Christmas program. Show up for Sunday school graduation. That's how you show them, and that's how you show this church that you desire to see the good work being done. Or maybe you can't legitimately be a part of children's ministry for one reason or another. At our last church, a group of those who were over 70, and I'll tell you, they had walkers and canes, and they moved a little bit slower than the rest of us. But they showed up during the week of vacation Bible school. And they found themselves a place to squirrel away, and they would take a few minutes to pray together. But their primary ministry that week was sitting down and writing out thank you cards to every single person who worked Vacation Bible School. And they would mail them at just the right time so that after all the programs were over, all the events were over, those people would go home and find on their counters or in their mailboxes a thank you card. I guarantee you there were some people who came back the next year simply because they got one of those cards. So if you can't be a part of a children's ministry, refresh the ones who are. And then lastly, I'll tell you a secret that shouldn't be a secret. When I arrived here just about seven years ago, that blows my mind. Seven years ago, we had a number of youth in this church. Now, over the last few years, of course, they've graduated, moved away, One's gotten married. A few more are getting married. And that means over the years, though, that number's kind of come down a little bit. But in two years, many of the kids who are sitting in the service this morning are going to be the exact same place those kids were seven years ago. Now, one of the things I noticed when I first got here is that those youth had people making investments and interests in their lives who were not their Sunday school teachers. They were not their youth leaders. They were not their Awana workers. And so my question to you this morning is, how invested are you in seeing that legacy continue with a whole new group of kids? 15 miles. In those 15 miles, there are going to be plenty of opportunities to minister to children. And if as a church we want to be great in the kingdom of God, that's the place to start. And we must minister as a people who have all their hope in Christ. And we must respond with that hope to the world that is full of cynicism to children who are surrounded by this belief that there is no hope. And we must minister as people who have been changed by the gospel of Christ so that we desire to do the good work because of the good work itself, because we desire to send up a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how your word can instruct us when it comes to ministry to children. And I pray, Father, that you would give us all that we need to minister to children. And I pray, Father, we would... Take a moment to examine ourselves to make sure, Lord, that we are not missing the opportunity to minister to children. We desire to be great in your kingdom, and Father, you have told us how to do that, and it starts with ministry to children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.